Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Your Best Version. My name is David Porter. It's always wonderful to have you here. This week, we're going to the second part of my talk to the Small Business Development Center at State Fair Community College in Sedalia, Missouri. Today, we're going to finish up talking about planning for the divorce and we're going to talk through various business structures that new business owners need to think about. Pretty straightforward stuff to, stuff today. I'm looking forward to having you hear this. Uh, when we're done, I'll come back and close it up and talk about next week's episode. And I hope you enjoy this installment of my talk to launch you at the Missouri Small Business Development Center. I'll, I'll give I'll give a little shameless plug here. When you launch your business, if that becomes in particular your one of your primary sources of income and you don't have an estate plan, you have a problem. You are not protecting your family if you don't have an estate plan that's connected to your business. What happens if you're the I mean, Kimberly, you're your business. I have the sign on my wall, I am the brand. Well, guess what? When it comes to Porter Law, I am the brand. You know, if I'm out driving and I get hit by a bus, Porter Law is over. As much as talented as my wife is, she doesn't have that little piece of paper to put on the wall that is a law license. Yeah, so what I've done is I've got a good friend of mine that is in Kansas City, and we have, we have... I'll just call it a trustee, a trustee document between the two of us, which he can he now has authority to come down and he can wind, he winds up my practice. Okay? But what does wind up my practice mean? I have a lot of business people that come in and work with me on estate planning. And the first thing I and and many of them, I work with a lot of tradespeople that have HVAC businesses, electro, you know, electricians, et cetera. And I'll say, okay, what's the value of your business? And they look at me like I'm a three-headed alien. What do you mean, what's the value of, your, of my business? What's the value of your business? Well, it pays our bills. Get that. What's the value of your business? I don't know what you mean. Does your business own real estate? Yeah. Well, how much is that worth? I don't know. It's, it's the shop we work out of. Okay. Do you own equipment? Do you own vehicles? Do you have accounts receivable? You haven't been paid for, your clients haven't paid you yet. I mean, all of these things are assets. The challenge is that when we have our own business, we don't think about them that way. It's just part of what we do. I don't own my office, but I have an office. I have all kinds of, of computer equipment and those kinds of things. I own and own and license software. I mean, I, there are lots of assets. And then and on top of that is my earning potential, my accounts receivable, all those kinds of things. If you don't have, I mean, again, talk about it now. What happens, and listen, this is a tough question to look somebody in the eye and ask, what happens if you die? And what I'm really saying is, what happens to your spouse, your kids, if you die? If your family has been relying on the income and the revenue of your business, what happens if you're gone? Okay, so talk about it now. If somebody's not willing to talk about it, they may not need to be part of your business. Number four, no, if you have, again, no 50-50. I deal with so many people that come in and there's two people and, and I'm like, okay, how are we going to divide the ownership of the business? And they're like, oh, it's 50-50. We're friends. We're bringing in all new. No, 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 no. Never, ever, 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 ever allow.
allow your business to be 50-50. Because if you disagree, you have, you have run your business into a brick wall, okay? The corollary to no 50-50 is always, if you have more than two people that are involved, that are owners of your business, always do the math to know who it takes to get to be over 50%. At a business that came in, they had three, they wanted to have three owners. Two people were putting in significant dollars and taking out loans to, to finance much of that. Another guy was just providing services. I said, okay, great. How do you want to divide this up? And so we started talking about how this was going to get divided up. Challenge was they wanted to give this service part, I'm going to call him a service partner, not a, not a cash partner, a service partner. They wanted to give him, I think it was 15% of the business. Like, okay. So it was, so it was 15 and then they took the 85 and divided it in half and I don't do math. So just 85 divided by two. That's what they wanted. So neither one of them had a majority, but either one of them with this guy could have a majority. So I had to educate that, them to say, well, wait a minute, you two guys are the ones that are mortgaging your houses and, and tapping into your, into your retirement and blah, 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 blah. You understand that, and, and they were family. These two guys, the two guys that were the big dollars, they were family, they were relatives. This guy was an outsider. I said, you realize that either one of you can go get this guy to agree with you and you can do anything to the detriment of your family member. And all the blood drained out of their face and the light bulb went on and they were like, that's a problem. So yeah, that's a huge problem. So what we had to do was we had to structure the operating agreement so that there were there were certain things. They did not want to take anything away from this other guy, this outsider. I couldn't understand it. I did everything I could to say, why are we doing this? This doesn't seem, but they held to their guns. And I said, okay, so if that's the case, what are the things that you absolutely don't want this guy to have control of? And so we structured what we what I call supermajority to where the only, so things like opening a new location, going into a different market, we, we made that a decision that only a supermajority of the owners could make. And guess who the only, guess who, what was the only combination that was available that could make the supermajority? The two people that had put in the big bucks. Now, this guy could come along or not. He could vote with them or not. It didn't matter. But these two guys were the only ones that could make those kinds of decisions. So don't just think about it from a, what, is the, what does it look like? on its face, what does it mean? How can it impact you? How can people, anybody ever watch Dallas? Okay, right? Right, so tell me, so tell me, J.R. Ewing, would you do a business deal with J.R. Ewing? No, nobody would do a business deal with J.R. Ewing, why? Because he would figure out a way to do something that you didn't want done, and then when you, when you squawked about it, he'd say, well, the, the contract says I can do that. Or the operating agreement says I can do that. And you'd look at it and you'd go, how did I not know that? Well, you didn't know that because you didn't think about it. You gotta plan for the divorce. You gotta see what are the what are the negative things that can happen to you. Now, this one's gonna be a little tough for you. Steal yourself. Presume failure. 
not in the sense of going moving forward, but in the sense of planning, presume failure. This is one of the places that my lovely bride and I sometimes diverge because I am a worst case scenario guy. I need her to be the we can do this because I'm the guy that's always saying, what happens if it doesn't work? And then she kicks me in the shin and says, but what if it does? Okay, that's a great yin and yang to have, but you have to, sorry, right, right. But we presume, if you presume failure in the planning of your business, what you then can do is absolutely plan for the divorce. Have I beaten that horse enough? Lastly, I just said to presume for failure, I will tell you that your greatest risk in your business is success. Now, some of you may be going, what? What do you mean? I'm into this for success. How is that my greatest risk? Success is your, success is your greatest risk for two reasons. One, it will stretch your ability to run your business beyond anything you could have planned for. Most new entrepreneurs don't think about systems. We'll talk about that in a little bit. When you have success, you fail because you don't have the systems to support the success that you've generated. It's a complete paradox. What do you mean my success is, absolutely. I guarantee you that you have seen, I'm trying to think of, there was a restaurant chain. Think of any restaurant chain that's gone out of business. And, and I'm talking about chains that have gone out of business. You can put any name you want to on it. At the end of the day, restaurant chains go out of business because they grew too fast. So I'm having massive success with my XYZ restaurant in Sedalia, Missouri. So now I'm going to put one in Warrensburg. Oh my gosh, Warrensburg works. And man, we're rolling in Warrensburg. Okay, well, now I'm going to put one in Boonville. And now I'm going to put one in, and now I'm going to put one in, and now we're on, now we're on this roller coaster, okay? What does success take? And I know that's a terrible question because it takes all kinds of things. But what does, at its core, what does success require of the business owner? Cash. Cash. Capital. I always find it funny that business people and finance people always talk about it. capital. No, no. It's cash. Okay? One thing I learned very early on in my marriage was cash is king. Okay? Don't hide it by calling it capital. It's cash. Stacks of it with a band around it in your safe. That's what, that's the king, all right? When you have great success, it begins to drain that cash. Or you get over leveraged. So now you're going out and you're financing a new building in Boonville. And now you're fine. Exactly. It's a balancing act. And sometimes the best decision you can make is, we're not going to open that new facility. We're not going to start that new service line. We're not going to, we're not going to. I had a good friend of mine, he, he wrote a book, and the book was a precursor to coaching and, and, and that sort of thing. And he had this really enthusiastic uh, marketing guy, and the marketing guy said, man, we're going to sell, um, you know, 20,000 of these books. Now, what 
what my guy knew was if you sell 20,000 copies of that book, yeah, you're going to make some good revenue. You can't service 20,000 people. He couldn't, he couldn't service 20,000 people at that point in his business. So he basically told his marketing guy, you're going to make me, you're going to make me go bankrupt. Let's take that 20,000 unit sales goal. Let's just put this over here, put a pin in it over here in the parking lot. Great goal to have. Maybe we'll do that someday, but today we can't do that. You got to live within the place you are, or you're going to find yourself having this wonder, you're going to have this adrenaline rush of success in your business that one day you're going to wake up and it's going to crush you. You must always manage the success of your. When you say to yourself, "I my success, I'm my success is out of control," you're right, and you're going to wake up one day in a bad place. So your number one risk is success. Have I have I defeated any of you yet? Okay, good. All right, we're going to talk about legal structures. This is actually to me the least interesting part of the legal talk because it just is what it is. The legal structure. Okay. Your book has a great table summary, and I've got them here in my slides. I am not going to go through those in any level of detail because, frankly, uh, I am not a tax lawyer. Uh, I am not an accountant. I have a 10-key um, in my office because I don't do math. All right? Numbers aren't my thing. What I will tell you about structure is if you don't understand how your business is structured, you have no way of managing your risk, okay? So this is actually in your book. So you need to protect not only, and this goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning, the trifecta. You need to protect your business, you need to protect your family, and you need to protect yourself. And, and the first place you start with this is, what is the structure of my business? So I just put this list up here. I'm going to talk through and then in, the, in your book, and Kelly, if you're going to give them my slides, I've, the slides have those too, the various components of what each of these look like. Here's the thing I would tell you. Whatever, whatever structure you choose, you must be loyal to it because every structure has different requirements. Some have very few requirements. Some have a lot of requirements. But you need to follow whatever those structures are to, in, to make sure that your business is established, that it exists on its own. It is independent of you. You may be the brand, but you need to not be the business. So let's start at the top, which is the thing that needs the least amount of of structure at all, and that's a sole proprietorship. I would tell you that if you can stomach it, I would never tell someone to be in a sole proprietorship. And the reason is because you go from being the brand to being the business. It doesn't matter if you have an office. It doesn't matter if you have a building. It doesn't matter if you have assets. If you're a sole proprietorship and you have none of these other structures in place, everything you own, everything in your in your business is really you. So what's the, what's the downside to that? Because there's, there's no requirements and, and I can do whatever I want, right? Until something goes bad. And when something goes bad, your house is gone. 
your bank accounts are gone, your vehicles are gone, your retirement funds are gone, everything is gone because you are the business, you are not just the brand. So you need to create a structure. I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to go next to partnership. I think I did it this way because that's how it's in your book. But I want to talk about partnership second. And the reason I want to talk about partnership second is because a partnership is largely no better than a sole proprietorship. The only difference is now instead of having one person whose personal assets are at risk, you now have multiple people whose personal assets are at risk. And the reason that, I, that I'm a bit flippant about that is that it is so simple to do the things necessary to protect, to set up a, a structure that can protect you and your business and your family. Why in the world would you ever do this? And the reason that I've come to discover is because, one, people don't know that this is there, which is why it's so great you're here. And secondly, nobody wants to go talk to a lawyer. My gosh, do you know how much it costs to go talk to a lawyer? Yes, I do. I know how much it costs to go talk to a lawyer. You know how much it, you know how much it costs to come talk to me? Zero. Because I'm going to sit down with somebody and say, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? What are your objectives? I'm going to spend 30 minutes with somebody. And at the end, I'm going to say, listen, if you run your business as a sole proprietorship, or if you engage in a partnership, you're going to expose everything in your world to the liabilities of that company. Now, something I learned at the hospital was competent people over 18 get to make bad decisions. Okay, My clients make bad decisions every day. So do I. All right? So I'm not telling you that you have to do what I say. What I'm telling you is, here's the result, here's the consequence, here's the risk, here's the exposure, if you do it that way. Now, typically, when I say that, Matt will say to me, well, what can I do? Well, we'll talk about various options. And he'll say, well, tell me about this limited liability company. And I'll, go, I'll talk about that in just a second, but I'm going to play the scenario out. So now... He spent 30 minutes with me, it cost him nothing. He wants an LLC, guess what, it, guess what that's gonna cost him? What's an LLC? That sounds really expensive. That sounds really complex. No, for me it's $250 plus the filing fee and you're gonna have everything you need to start your business. My, my, my question to my to new clients is, not whether you can afford $250 to get everything set up so that you've got a, a, an actively working LLC, it's can you afford not to? Can you afford to put your house, your family, your kids on the firing line of your business? If you can, God bless you. I mean, I'm the first guy that says, go with God, make sure I know where you are, tell me when you launch, and I'll come, if you have a restaurant, I'll come eat at your restaurant. And if you've got this, I'll come. I'm more than happy. I'd love to work with local entrepreneurs. I mean, when Lyd and I go out to eat, we look for locally owned restaurants to go eat at. I don't want to go eat at Chili's. We go eat at Chili's every now and then, but I don't want to go eat at a place that's got this national chain thing. I like local entrepreneurs because I know what they're doing. Sorry, went off on the tangent there. Limited liability companies. Limited liability companies are what I, what I would tell you is uh, corporation light, L-I-T-E. You don't have stock. You have membership shares. It requires very little in the way of formality. 
it is, it is filed with the Missouri Secretary of State, but it provides this thing we call the corporate veil. As long as you maintain the elements of here's my, here are my business finances, here are my personal finances. Twice a month, I have this really cool thing. It's called payroll. Twice a month, I've got an ADP account. You know, ADP. It's a company that does payroll. It's a payroll company. Okay? They send me an email. The email says, hey, you need to run your, need to run your semi-monthly payroll. Okay, great. I go in, I log in, and it says, review your payroll. I review the payroll. Guess who's on the payroll? Me. And I say, run the payroll. And they say, you're going to need this much money. Great. Run the payroll. What does that mean? That means I take, I take money out of my business account. They withhold taxes. They do all the things that you do when you're an employee. And they dump it over here. So like 85 plus percent of the dollars that I'm taking out of my business, I am putting into my personal checking account. And you think, well, that sounds silly. Why would you do that? I do that because my firm is a limited liability company. By doing that, I am demonstrating to the world, I can prove if I have a problem, that my law firm is not a sole proprietorship. It is not something that I am running without a corporate structure, a corporate veil. Well, how do you, how, oh, Mr. Porter, why would, how do we know that you are running this as a limited liability company? Well, you know that because if you go look at my payroll, I don't take money out of my business and put it into my personal account except through payroll. I certainly don't have a single checking account that runs both my household and my law firm. That never happens. Okay? That is the creation of the corporate veil that protects you in your business. Again, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. So there's this idea of corporations. Corporations have more formality requirements. They have stock instead of membership shares. There are tax questions. There are tax issues that have to be thought through. An S-Corp is very similar to a limited liability company, but it does have some tax advantages if your business is profitable. Early on, if your business is going to be showing losses, a limited liability company that is taxed as a pass-through can have some advantages. At this moment, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to tell you that deciding on this from a liability perspective, simply means that you cross off partnership and you cross off sole proprietorship. Now we've got limited liability, C-Corp, S-Corp, and nonprofit. That's your accountant conversation. That's your accountant tax professional conversation. Amber, you can uh, actually, an S-Corp with an, L an LLC can make an election to be taxed as an S-Corp. There are some things you have to do um, in how you, so for instance, uh, in an S-Corp, each of the owners must be paid a reasonable salary for the work that they do. You can't choose to not pay yourself. If you're a limited liability company that's just taxed as an LLC, you can choose not to, I mean, that's why making money is really a trigger for you to think about 
changing that election, okay? When we talk about a, what I call a pure S-corp, which is it's filed as a corporation and then you elect to be an S-corp, what that means is two things. One, you have a limited, you, ca you cannot have more than, I believe it's 100 shareholders, and then the taxes are, are dealt with in more of a pass-through way rather than being double taxation. Double taxation really comes into play here at the C-corp level, and what that means is the corporation pays taxes, so obviously you're going to be the majority, you're going to be the majority stockholder. So the company's going to pay taxes, and then you're going to pay taxes on your income. Versus in an S Corp, we don't tax the entity, we tax the owner. The last one I want to talk about is nonprofits. People think that nonprofit means that you don't make money. That's false. Nonprofit does not mean don't make a profit. Nonprofit means that you engage in your business for particular missions, particular things, education, science, uh, charitable endeavors. Very early in my marriage, I learned, first one I learned was cash is king. Second one I learned is no margin, no mission. Lyd and I both worked in, in the nonprofit world. I guarantee you profit you don't call it profit in a nonprofit corporation. You can call it surplus. You gotta, you've gotta pay less in expenses than you bring in in revenue. You just have to. If you're selling apples that you bought for a dollar and you're selling them for a quarter, you don't need a bigger truck. Okay, you don't need a bigger truck. Nonprofits work because they force, in a good way, they force you to articulate a mission and then they require you to only do work and only procure revenue from fulfilling that mission. Now, in the midst of doing that, can you pay people to work for you as a nonprofit? Absolutely. Well, I can only pay them minimum wage. No, you can pay them a reasonable salary. If you're running I mean, I guarantee you that there are people that work for the American Red Cross, a massive nonprofit, and they have senior executives that have authority and responsibility to make sure of the efficacy of the American Red Cross that are making a pretty nice living. And that's not a bad thing. We want talented people to be running nonprofits because they don't run on the kinds of margins that a for-profit corporation does. I'm gonna, I don't remember if these are at the end or not, so I'm going to talk about this right now. One of the things that, that you all will have to think about is um, funding at some point, probably. So you want to buy a piece of real estate, you want to buy a building, you want to do thing, you, know, you want to go get a line of credit, you want to do those kinds of things. Uh, it's going to be really hard for you as a startup to do that in a nonprofit. Sector. It's going to be hard for you if you've structured your world as a nonprofit. You've got to be a big, substantial, long-standing nonprofit that shows consistent revenue at the top line and consistent surplus at the bottom line before you're going to be able to, to finance, you know, have the financial wherewithal to get funding. Uh, I would tell you that if you, if you see that as important, the simplest, I'm not saying the easiest, the simplest 
is if you are a corporation of some kind, whether it's a C Corp or an S Corp. Again, S is that smaller number of shareholders. Anybody that is being uh, traded on a stock exchange, those are typically going to be C Corps. So like Amazon, bless you. Like Amazon. Amazon's a C Corp. They have thousands of shareholders because they're traded on the stock exchange. For you all in the place you're sitting right now, I would highly encourage you to think about an LLC. The other thing, and I just, I just had a client that is currently being bitten by this. So let's say, I'll, I'm going to pick on Kimberly. So Kimberly decides that she wants to start Kimberly LLC. But her business, tell me the name of your business. Okay. But she wants to run it under the name Central Missouri Canine. It's a great name. But she doesn't go register that trade name, that DBA, during business as, that DBA under Kimberly LLC. She has a problem. The only thing your customers have seen is Central Missouri Canine. So guess who they sue? Central Missouri Canine. And when you say, no, 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 it's not Central Missouri Canine, it's Kimberly LLC, you got a real good chance that the court's going to say, that's not what the Secretary of State says. Secretary of State says Central Missouri Canine has, there's no record of Central Missouri Canine in Secretary of State's database. Guess what happens? You just became a sole proprietorship. And everything in your world is now exposed to that litigation. So if you want to use a trade name, if you want to use a name that is different than the entity that you've created, please, please, please either do it yourself or have somebody help you go onto the Secretary of State's website. It's called Filing for a Fictitious Name. And here's the really, here's the part that sometimes I just shake my head. You want to know how much filing, registering a fictitious name is? $7. $7. It may have gone up to $25. I just remember. I remember $7. I mean, but still, $25 so that your house isn't exposed to liability. I think it's worth the time. Worth the effort. Well, it's always pretty simple to talk about this kind of stuff. The problem is, as we've talked about, everybody gets excited about the wedding and some people forget about talking about the divorce. And one part of talking about the divorce is what kind of business structure do we need to protect ourselves and our business and our families? So it was great to have that part of the talk. Uh, we did do some editing because there was a lot of conversation with the attendees uh, hopefully uh, we were able to edit this in a way that it went smoothly for you to be able to understand the areas that we were talking about. Next week, we're going to do the third and final installment with the Small Business Development Center at State Fair Community College. We're going to finish our Launch U presentation. Look forward to having you come back here and listen to that. And remember, your five-star version is out there waiting for you. Whether you are working for someone else or as these attendees were launching their own business. Come back next time and hear the rest of our talk to the Launch You attendees. 
Thanks for joining us today. I encourage you to take some time and think about what today's episode taught you about yourself and how you can improve. Remember, while you may face challenges, you are the solution. Seek progress, not perfection. Change your belief, change your identity. Change your identity, change your outcome. Change your outcome, change your life. Join us next week as we have another discussion about how you can find your best version.